0: Hallelujah. We're going to start today's message by reading Isaiah chapter 6. And the title of the message is He Shall Reign. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the servants flew to me having his hand, a live coal which he had taken from the tops from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your dignity lip is taken away and your sin burns. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will look for us? And I said, You are mine. Send me. And he said, Go. And tell these people. Praise Jesus. Lord, we just ask that you enable me to give this message in the manner which it deserves to be given, Lord. I pray you will be glorified with this message in Jesus' name. And I pray you will open every heart today. Lord, I pray that people will tune in, that they will not be tuning in and out, that they will truly listen, that they will have ears to hear in Jesus' name. You know, I think it's interesting that the first thing that Isaiah said, and God said, "Go and tell this people: keep on hearing but do not understand; keep on seeing but do not perceive; make the hearts of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed." You know, it's so important that we use used to hear what the Spirit of God is saying
1: at this time. I believe this is a timely message. You know, Isaiah had a vision of a glorious king who reigns in righteousness, holiness, and awesome splendor. And nothing has changed since that moment. Our God has lost none of His power. Our God still reigns. He is still worthy of our praise. He is still seated on the throne of eternity. You know, Isaiah was given a brief, privileged glimpse of eternity. And he saw a king seated on his throne. And his life was never the same again. You know, it's important to note that Isaiah was already serving God at this point. For there are three preceding chapters in his book. And again, you'll be blessed by reading them. And and yet, he has this life-changing encounter. When the curtain is rolled back and eternity is revealed. God reveals himself more fully. And suddenly, he is captured by the scene. He is convicted by his sin. And he is compelled to answer the call. And he cries out, here am I. Send me. But why? You know, you know, Isaiah was already walking with God at this point. But clearly, there are deeper levels to our walk with God. You know, Ezekiel chapter 47 alludes to this when it talks about how, you know, Ezekiel was taken out, the water was to his ankles, it was to his knees, it was to his waist, and finally it was so deep he couldn't uh, stand and you had to swim. And I believe, you know, it's symbolic of how God wants to bring all of us into a deeper walk with Him, into a deeper place. I mean, where we've been has been good, but God isn't finished. He has something greater to reveal to His church. Because again, the Bible I read talks about how God saves the best wine until last. So, you know, praise God for what He did in previous awakenings, what He did in Wales, what He did in Azusa Street, and what He did in various parts of the world. But you know what? I believe God is going to do something that is going to shake the nations in Jesus' name. Amen? Because the Bible says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do me a favor today. If you're at home, listen to this message. Don't sit there for five or ten minutes and go off somewhere else. You know what? Quit now and and do something, whatever you want to do. But if you're going to hear this message, then hear it in its entirety. And hear it with a willingness to hear what God is saying at this season. Our God reigns. Isaiah had a vision and it changed his life forever. He was never the same again. Do you want to have a, do, do you know a, a thought that really troubles me at times, the thought that I might not do what God has called me to do, out of fear, our laziness, our uh, compromise. And, and you know I think it's tragic. You know that Revelations 21.4 talks about how God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and maybe the tears are the tears of those who are shown in eternity what God might have done in their earthly lives if only they had been willing to trust Him more. If only they had been willing to push a little bit harder. If only they were willing to surrender to the call in the same way as Isaiah who gave God an unqualified and unreserved surrender when he said, here am I, send me. But what makes makes the difference between living life to the average and living it to the full? Well, here in John chapter 10 and verse 10 in the Amplified, it says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The King James, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I'm come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Amen? So God wants us to have life to the full, till it overflows. Life in abundance. Amen? Amen? And Jesus came that we would have life in abundance. And so if we were to ask Isaiah, a man who subsequent to this vision was used so powerfully by God, that the very book that God used him to write approximately 740 years before the birth of Christ is often referred to as the fifth gospel. Amen. And it's so full of Jesus and speaks of Christ so clearly that there are many who have tried to argue that it must have been written after the birth of Christ and not 740 years before. And yet the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were found in the nation of Israel during the 40s and 50s, as part of those Dead Sea Scrolls, they found an intact book of Isaiah, which was virtually identical to the one that we use today, thus confirming that, you know what, the book of Isaiah was written so far before the birth of Christ, in spite of how accurate it is, amen, and this is why I believe is, is a message from heaven to us, and therefore for an indication of how powerfully Isaiah was used and how clear the vision was that God gave him. But if we were to ask Isaiah, what did you learn by what you saw? What conclusions did you arrive at? And what advice would you give us today? He would simply respond, our God reigns. That is all you need to know. Amen. I believe this is what he would say to us. Isaiah would say our God reigns. He is seated on the throne of eternity. Isaiah chapter 19 gives us a picture of this resurrected Savior. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat in them was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in white linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his tie a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is an awesome God, and He shall reign. Just like that song, it's been going through my spirit all week. He shall reign forever and ever. Amen? And once you get that revelation, literally everything else pales into insignificance. Amen? Hallelujah. This is so important for us to grasp, because when you understand that He reigns, you won't waste your time watching conspiracy videos. And you won't embrace this dangerous fatalism that some Christians have, you know, that causes them to retreat from society, buying into an escapist mentality that somehow looks to the rapture as an answer to all of the problems of the world. Are you not worried about the the rapture, Pastor John? No, I'm not. It's going to happen when it happens. And if we're theologically wrong, then so be it. But that is not our focus. We are here for a reason. It irks me. You know, Christians are buying into this escapist mentality, which, like I said, fosters a certain, you know, uh, fatalistic view on life, whereby you just dis- decide, you know what, we need to retreat. We don't have anything to contribute to our society. We need to just say, Jesus, beam me up. I want to get out of here. Maybe he has kept us here for a reason. Because, you know what, in, in, in times of darkness, that is when you need the light. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Amen? Hallelujah. So again, we are here for a reason. We need to be about the Father's business. Seeking His face and winning our world to Christ. Psalm 2 gives us a picture of this glorious King. And it said, why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth uh, set themselves... And uh, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. I see a whole lot of Christians that are very worked up, you know, about all sorts of things and anxious and fearful. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. If you're fearful and worried, you are not tuned into heaven. If you're anxious and afraid, you're not tuned into heaven. Let me say, some of you, you know what? If you spend half your time reading your Bible that you do, watching and sharing videos about this, that, and the other, you'd be a spiritual giant. I am sick and tired of people sending me videos, many instances made by people who don't even know God. Come on. We are here for a reason. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have a great commission. We must be about our father's business. You know what? The reason why so many people are fixated in a lot of that is it's, it's selfish. We're, we're focused on ourselves, on our own security. You know what? We need to focus on the master's business. We need to be about it in Jesus' name. Because the time is short. The Bible says the devil has gone down to the earth having great wrath knowing that he has a short time. We have a short time as well before Christ returns. So let's do what God wants us to do. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." What are we asking for? We're not asking for an escape. We're asking for the nations. We're not retreating. We're moving forward. Because the Bible says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're going to go forward in the name of Jesus. We're going to take ground. We're going to see our generation come to Christ. We're going to see the power of God demonstrated to our generation in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. I want to be like David. I want to serve God's purposes in my generation before I fall asleep. How many of you feel the same way? Amen. And it said, ask me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall crush them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. You see, we are blessed because we trust in him. Sam 2 gives us a picture of a God who isn't agitated, anxious, depressed, or worried about the agendas of globalists or socialists or Islamists or big tech or big pharma or anybody else. Amen. Rather, we see a God who reigns. Sam 96. Again, and it's. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. Psalm 96, oh sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among the people, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised, he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord our families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Amen. Thank you Jesus. Praise you Jesus. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Amen. Verse 13, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with truth. You see, our God is coming. Psalm 97. And it says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitudes of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world, the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. Amen. We must. I believe come back to a place of reverence, come back to a place where we acknowledge God as God and give him the glory that belongs to him. You know, the Bible says that God, because Christ humbled himself, God has given Jesus the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, I believe God wants us to have a new sense of awe, a new sense of reverence. Amen. Uh, Revelation 11 and verse 15. I believe this is a key verse to this whole message. And it said the seventh angel sounded. And those great voices in heaven saying. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. You see through both time and eternity. Christ our Savior reigns. And because he reigns we worship. When we talk of public worship. It is more than singing a few songs. It's more than a yearning for fellowship or are blindly following dead ritual or religion. The desire to praise is ultimately rooted in a sense of obligation. We are obligated by the cross. We are obligated by the blood. We are obligated by the birth, the the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the glorious ascension of Christ our Savior. Clearly, there is no one like Jesus. Hallelujah. And this is why we gather for public worship. It's a declaration that He reigns. Amen. In the good times and in bad, we gather to worship and adore the king of kings. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. um, Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And you've redeemed us to God by uh, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and behold, a voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, the elders, and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Saying with a loud voice. I don't believe in quiet church. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the scene, all that are in them are heard saying. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits in the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him. Who lives forever and ever. You know, last night I read through the book of Revelation. It's a beautiful book. Because in a way, it's a kind of a, a microcosm. It, it summarizes all of, all of history, actually. Uh, it, it, it goes from eternity to eternity with time in between. And a lot of people don't understand. But you know what? You can summarize the book of Revelation by one word. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, one word will explain it to you. And it is worship. Worship. We see Satan in the beginning worshiping before the throne. He rises up in rebellion. He is kicked out of heaven. And, uh, you know, obviously we see the fall of mankind. We see destruction uh, through the ages. But ultimately we see that we were created to worship God. When John, the, the apostle, falls down before the angels, he said, don't do that. Worship God, it's a command over and over and over again. And it's interesting, if you would highlight the amount of times the word worship appears in the book of Revelation, you would be amazed. What is the one thing that the Antichrist, um, or or rather the the false prophet, um, urges people to do? uh, To worship the beast, amen? Because it's always been about worship, amen? This is why worship is so significant, amen? Amen. It says, all who dwell on the earth, Revelation 13, will worship him. And verse, um, <coughs> verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 12, he exercises the authority, speaking of the false prophet, uh, of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Uh, verse uh 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You see, it's about worship. Satan wants worship, and this is why he wants the churches closed. Because you will worship God, or you will worship something. If you don't worship God, you'll worship something else. It may be money, it may be perversion, it may be uh, you know celebrities, uh, it may be Satan himself. But you will worship something because we are created to worship, and through all of eternity, we will worship. And this is what the devil wants: the churches closed because it's not just about hearing a sermon, it's not just about singing a song. It is about giving the worship that is appropriate to our Creator. We worship our Savior because he alone is worthy. And he shall reign forever and ever. This is why we gather for public worship. Because it is the right thing to do. Amen. Because as the creature, we are called to worship the creator and not vice versa. And unfortunately, we're living in a time when many people no longer want to worship the creator. They want to worship the creature. You have people who worship science. People who worship, you know, uh, money, like I said, people who worship celebrities. No, we worship God. There is a place in our heart that belongs to God and God alone. We're called to publicly gather to give God what belongs to him, our worship and our praise. We're called to give God the glory that is his. And just because you're comfortable with staying at home, be careful about lecturing others to do so. I, I, I find it amazing, to, to, you know, when people start saying, you, you know, stay home. Well, you just watch a TV screen, it's fine. Because I said so. No, there is no substitute for gathering in, pu- in public to worship our Savior. Amen? Because I think it takes a degree of audacity. Like I said, just because you want to do something... Doesn't mean it gives you the right to lecture everybody else. Amen. Revelation 4, verse 8 says, uh, Each of the, uh, thank you, Lord, each of the four living creatures had six wings, with two covered his eyes all around, um, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You see, in heaven, they literally never stop day and night praising God. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so we must pray that God's will will be done on this earth. And so let me say this, when earthly governments place themselves above God by forbidding worship and closing down churches, clearly they have stepped beyond their calling. It may be done with the best of intentions, but it will end with the worst of results. Exodus 8 and verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. The battle has always been over worship. And tragically, even when the churches were open, many times you had people walk in in the middle of the worship or even after the worship as if it was some, you know, irrelevant prelude to the message. No, it is not. It is a key part of the service. We sing, we worship, we praise because it is the appropriate thing for us to do as the creature to worship our Creator. You see, worship isn't a career, it's a calling. The gathering of the saints isn't an optional extra, it's an essential. It's a sacred responsibility given to the saints through the ages to give God the glory that rightfully belongs to Him and Him alone. You know, the fact that some religious leaders don't seem to be too upset about the fact that the churches continue to be closed is an indication of how disconnected we have become from heaven. Because in heaven, they praise God endlessly. We were made to worship the Lord. Pastor John, are you afraid to be so outspoken? No. As my wife will tell you, I've always been all or nothing. Nothing. And I know I'm doing the right thing. Wherever this ends up, I don't know. But I know I'm doing the right thing by speaking up. There is a time to be silent. There is a time to speak. The time to speak has come. Worship, it's a calling. And this is the tragedy. I believe that there are leaders in the body of Christ who have the title. They may have the career. They do not have the calling. We need men and women that are called. We need men and women who have a burden. Men and women who have the anointing. Just because you have the ability to do His work without the anointing. We have a sacred responsibility. Heaven is our example. Revelation 4.9 And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and came to be. The reason why you exist is God called you into existence. We owe him everything. Our very next breath is a gift from our creator. And when we worship, we're giving back to our creator the breath that he put within our lungs. Oh, wake up church. There is a deeper level. There is a deeper walk with our creator. He is calling every one of us in this season. He is a glorious king, and he is worthy of our praises. Our weekly gathering is an implicit statement that our God reigns. And that's why the longer the church is is closed, the better the devil likes it. Because he reigns, we worship. Because he reigns, we trust. Job 13 and 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't understand people like Jacob who say, God, I will trust you as long as things go my way. No, we must give God our unqualified trust. We must trust God in the darkness as well as in the light. We trust God when things are going our way and when it seems like it's all going wrong. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It says to trust God with all of your heart. At times we do so in spite of the pain. In spite of where we may have failed we trust God because we're convinced of this God isn't finished with us yet Micah 7 and verse 8 I believe said you know as much when it says rejoice not against me my enemy when I fall I will arise when I sit in darkness the Lord will be light to me Micah understood there's times when you will stumble there will be times when you will fall but you get back up and say thank you Lord thank you for the blood Thank you that you're not finished with me. Thank you that your hand is still on my life. Thank you that you still have a purpose for this nation. I was just walking through our town last night. I saw so many young people and they don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. And there's a church that's quite happy with the way things are. God forbid that we go back to the way that things were. It's time for change. It's time for change. And if you don't want to be a part of the change, then get out of the way. We trust him. We trust him because we are convinced that there is no sin that his blood cannot cleanse. We trust because we believe our day, our best days are still ahead of us. We're... T- you know what? We trust because we're convinced that He reigns, that He rules, that He is in control, and no matter how we have messed up, that He can fix it. Because trust isn't a feeling or an emotion, it is a choice. David said, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in Psalm 56 and verse 3. It is a choice. You can choose to trust even when it looks like all hell is breaking out in your life. Could somebody say, Thank you, Jesus? I trust. Trust in you. My trust is in you in Jesus name. Psalm 112 verse 7. His heart is steadfast trusting in the Lord. Hallelujah. Trust is the answer. Christ reigns in the hearts of all of those who trust him. Isaiah 9 6 says the government will be upon his shoulders. We don't have to panic. He reigns. He reigns. The Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. I appreciate there are many of you who are worried, or anxious, or frustrated, or depressed, or maybe even all four together. But you know what? Hallelujah, we must trust. We must trust. This season has been an opportunity for all of us to learn to trust God more and more. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. I have a burden for this nation. You know, it grieves me that, you know, religious leaders for for centuries have been facilitating people staying in ignorance and darkness. So many people in this nation have never truly heard the gospel. And sometimes I wonder about those who have. If you don't have an urgency for souls, there's something severely deficient in your faith. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just simply saying it's time to change. It's time to change in the name of Jesus. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed thank you Jesus his kingdom shall not be destroyed verse 27 And it says, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion shall serve and obey him. Amen. Hallelujah. Because he reigns, we worship. Because he reigns, we trust. Because he reigns, we obey. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the king, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to our God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And even all those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth shall mourn because of me. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And verse, uh, ter- verse uh, 13, And in the midst of the golden lamp stands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, uh, as if refined in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp 2 sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I felt his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Thank you, Jesus. Our God reigns. And because he reigns, we obey. It says, I fell at his feet as dead. You know why? He is God. He is God. He is worthy, not only of our worship and our respect, but our obedience. Both the prophet Isaiah and the apostle John were given a vision of an awesome God, glorious in splendor, seated on a throne. One who must be obeyed. Amen. And it's so easy to fall into the same trap as the Pharisees who gave God lip service. Jesus said, these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You see, Isaiah was given a glimpse of God's holiness and he literally trembled. Because our intentions and our actions often don't line up. And yet, this mighty prophet of God was convicted and brought to a place of deep repentance. Like the prophet Samuel, he discovered that obedience is better than sacrifice. Because again, the only part of the Bible we believe is the part we obey. This is a day when we must walk in the fear of God, not the fear of man. Acts chapter 5 verse 29 says it's... We must obey God rather than men. And I I think this, you know, we're rapidly coming to that point in our history. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. And it said, we ought to obey God rather than man. It doesn't mean we deliberately disrespect man. But there comes a point where when you have to choose between obeying man or obeying God. As the church, we will always obey God. You know, Revelation chapter 20 talks about the great white throne judgment. Uh, Verse 11, and um, I know I've been reading quite a few verses, but the Bible has a lot to say about this. And it says Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Then I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book is opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. And death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. Because this is such a sobering picture that we are given of eternity. Because there is such a thing as too late. There is such a thing as too late. And this is why we must honor and obey God while we have the time and the opportunity to do so. Because night cometh when no man can work, as it says in John 9, verse 4. Night cometh when no man can work. Second Timothy 4, you know, addresses the times that we we're in. And it said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. At his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. "...be ready in season and out of season, convict, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but according to their uh, desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables." Amen. So again, this is very sobering because I believe these are the times that we're in where the Bible says because people have itching ears, they're going to go after certain teaching that will tickle their ears. They're not going to go after that which makes them uncomfortable or, or, or uh, he challenges them or rebukes them. No. That, and that is tragic because, you know, ultimately we do not fear God if we do not obey his word. It doesn't matter how well you sing or how well you prophesy or how many scriptures you can quote. The question is, are you obeying the word of God? Because God's word and God's will are one. We must walk in obedience to the Bible because the will of God and the word of God are one. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. When we open this book, we must understand we are reading eternal truth that will ultimately define where we spend eternity. And this is why we must be obedient to the word of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence that in all things he may have the preeminence. This is so important for us to grasp. Christ must have the preeminence in all things. We must seek first the king and the kingdom. And as we do, his glory will be revealed in our lives, in our families, in our nations. You see, our God reigns. Say it, our God reigns. He reigns over sin. Colossians 1.14, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thank God that Christ reigns over sin. And when he is enthroned in your heart, you will reign over it too. Romans 5.17, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings in life by one man, Jesus Christ. What's the secret to reigning over sin? Hallelujah. Let Christ be enthroned in your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. You are in training for reigning. Second Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Let me say this. You may have to endure some tests and trials, but you will prevail. Weeping may endure for a season, but joy is coming your way. Hallelujah. Our Savior has overcome. He reigns, and because he reigns, you will reign as well in Jesus' name. Amen, hallelujah. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. And it says, Now may the God of peace who brought up the Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you complete in every good work to do His will. Working in you what is well pleasing these sight, through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Who does the glory belong to? Jesus Christ. It is by the blood of the everlasting covenant that we reign. We overcome because of the blood of the everlasting covenant. Romans 7 and 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You know, Paul cried out, oh, wretched man that I am. This is the quandary we find ourselves in. As mortal, you know know what? mortal, Mortal literally means death doomed. We are mortal men. We are death doomed men. We have the desire to do what is right, but we don't have the means. That is at least not in ourselves. You know Jeremiah 29:11 says God has plans for us. Amen? But you know what? God has a pathway already laid out for us to walk. And and you know what? We want to do what is right, but the devil, the flesh, and the world are constantly conspiring to take us down the wrong path in a completely different direction. But when you understand that God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 53. God laid on Jesus our iniquity so that we could be free. There is a fountain filled with blood that tr- flows all the way from the throne of God and it will cleanse you from your sin. It will, it will remove those yokes and burdens that you've carried. Amen. There is a, a fountain of blood that cleanses from sin and unrighteousness. It flows... From the throne of heaven where Christ our Lord is seated. He reigns in righteousness and he is enthroned in glory. This is why we trust in him. We must trust in him because our God reigns. Isaiah, sorry, Hebrews 4 says we have not a savior who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. We have a Savior who understands our frailty. He knows you, and yet He loves you. This is why Hebrews 12 talks about looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I do not know what the future holds. But one thing I do know is this. I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to look to him when things are going right. I'm going to look to him when things are going wrong. I'm going to look to Jesus every day. Amen. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We look to him because he reigns. He reigns supreme. He reigns over supreme courts. There is a court that is higher than the supreme court. There is a government that is higher than the earth earthly governments. Amen. There is a God who reigns in heaven. He is Lord of Lords and He is King of Kings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We look to Him. He reigns. Jesus Christ reigns over sin. He reigns over Satan. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from darkness. Do you know that darkness has no dominion over you? Pornography, our drugs, our alcohol, our depression, our fear, our anxiety. They have no dominion over you because Christ reigns. And if he is your Lord, those things have no place in your heart. Christ reigns over sin. He reigns over Satan. Darkness has no dominion over you. Satan has no more power over you and the moment you realize that you will walk out of that self-imposed prison that you've been dwelling in for so long, prisons of fear, prisons of doubt. Depression, addiction, anxiety, shame, regret, you're gonna walk out of it in Jesus' name. First Corinthians 15:25, it says, He must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. You see, Christ dethroned the powers of darkness through his death, burial, and resurrection. Through the cross, Christ literally destroyed the destroyer. Hebrews 2 and 14. In so much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Amen. The NIV says that through death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. You see Christ our Lord gloriously vanquished our dread foe. Job chapter 18 refers to Satan as the king of terrors. It says it devours patches of his skin. The firstborn of death devours his his limbs. He is torn from the shelter of his tent and is marched off to the king of terrors. And such is the tragic fate of all those who die without Jesus Christ. They can mock God. They can mock faith. They can deny God's existence. It doesn't change the fact that when they take their final breath. They will realize that everything they believed was a lie. And they will recognize that there is a place of eternal torment. And they will be marched off as a prisoner to the place of eternal containment. Where the Bible says they are marched before the king of terrors. You see, Satan, I believe... Eternal souls are a trophy to him. He knows his eternal destiny is fixed. And that's why he wants to take as many people with him as he can. Don't be a dummy. Don't believe the lie that there isn't a God. That there isn't a heaven. There isn't a hell. That there isn't right or wrong. Yes, there is objective morality. There is truth. There is eternal truth that will define where you spend eternity. And it is revealed to us in this book. He reigns. Jesus Christ reigns. Hallelujah. Hebrews 13 and 14. We place our hope in him. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. Do you understand that it's just a matter of time? It is inevitable. You will take your final breath. Even if you live to a hundred. Even if you live to 120, the time will come when you take your final breath. You cannot escape the grave. Your number will be called. Your day will come. And this is why we look to Christ. Because there is no answer to death outside of Christ. He who conquered death. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? First John 3:8. He that commits sin is of the devil. But for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. That he might destroy the works of the devil. You see, Christ came to conquer. He didn't come to negotiate a settlement or compromise. Any more than God decided to share the throne with Satan when he rebelled. No, he cast him out. And so, to Christ crushed Satan at the cross. Satan literally has no power over the blood-bought child of God. You see, Christ reigns over sin, over Satan. Lastly, as I finish, he reigns over self. I sometimes wonder, is this the biggest giant that we face? Self. Self Self-will, the desire to serve self. Self Self-effort, the desire to save self. Self Self-glory, the desire to worship and exalt self. I'd love to have the time to go through it in detail. But you know, Daniel chapter 4. Just give me five minutes and I'm finished. Daniel chapter 4 speaks of Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke saying, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built? A royal uh, dwelling by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. When the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the earth. They shall make you eat grass, and seven times shall pass over you, seven years, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of of men, and he gives it to whomever he chooses. At the end of that seven years, his mind came back to him, and it says, it says, I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Who can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 37, now I am Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All of those whose works are true, and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. What do we understand here? Nebuchadnezzar served self, but God humbled him. God brought him to a place where he acknowledged he reigns. It says the great British missionary uh, Hudson Taylor once said, "Either Christ is Lord of all, or is not Lord at all." I remember reading this story of Nebuchadnezzar to my son, Yun when he was a little boy. And I said, Yun what is the moral of the story? And he responded with something very profound. He simply said, be humble or be humbled. And I say that to the governments of the world right now. Be humble or you will be humbled. I say it to every person watching today, be humble or like Nebuchadnezzar, you will be humbled. You see, it's not about you and it never was. Romans eleven thirty six gives us a proper perspective on life and it says for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Even Moses, one of the meekest men on the earth. Uh, one who was so mightily used by God and enjoyed such intimacy with God, and yet he was prevented from entering into the promises by self. Exodus chapter 16. He had a correct estimation when he said, "You're not coming against us; you're coming against God." But you might, in Numbers chapter 20. I don't have time to go there. It says he struck the rock twice, and he said, "Must we bring water from you f- from the rock for you?" Moses suddenly got he stepped into self, you know, and he. St- instead of honoring God, God told him to speak to the rock, Moses struck it. And you know, I believe this was an indication of of how at times we can get into the flesh and try to earn what Christ our Lord has purchased through his blood. How many religious leaders have failed to sanctify or honor God among the people? This is a time, I believe, when God is looking to see who will honor God. Amen. Because it may not be advantageous for us to honor God. We may end up losing uh, all sorts of perks, all sorts of privileges. I certainly have lost friendships along the way. You know, I understand I've made waves by the steps I've taken, but I do not regret. I believe I've done what I've done in obedience to God. And you know what? If, if I lose everything, I don't care. I want to obey God. I want to honor Him. Because that's the least I can do for Him who hung naked on a cross in my place. And this is why it says, verse 12, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land in which I have given them. You see, every day we live, every decision we make, every word we speak, we are either honoring ourselves or we are honoring God. We must honor Him. How many leaders have sold out a sacred calling to play political games? We are not here to earn brownie points with the media or with government or anybody else. We are here to first and foremost honor and serve God. You know, we've seen a number of high profile, you know, moral failures among those in ministry. But you know what? Just as dangerous are those who are compromising biblical truth in order, uh, you know, embracing heresy in order to avoid persecution or gain temporary popularity. You see, Moses lost his perspective. He was probably tired and frustrated and and self-stepped in. He lost his temper. He got in the flesh and he forgot their complaints were against God, not him. And you know what? This is why all of us need to maintain a humble estimation of ourselves. No matter what we do or where we go or what we accomplish. Think about Moses. God used him to lead millions of people. God split the Red Sea for Moses. I mean, if any leader... would think they are safe, surely would have been Moses, and yet Moses didn't honor God, and immediately he was judged. We must humble ourselves, amen. In Romans 12 and 3, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has given to each of us a measure of faith. Even Jesus said, Luke seventeen ten when you have done all these things just say we are unworthy servants we have only done our duty why it's all for his glory we're nothing without jesus i'm divine you're the branches he abides in me and i in him bears much fruit without me you can do nothing christ must reign in our hearts and in our homes you see pride has no place in us we must not allow self to sit on the throne of our lives. Moses and Aaron arrogantly acted like they were the ones who would bring water. And then they struck the rock a second time. This was symbolic of how self tries to contribute to the finished work of Calvary. No, Christ suffered once for all. First Peter 3.18 For Christ has suffered once for us. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, and being made alive in the spirit. It's all by His grace. And therefore, it's all for His glory. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life because He reigns. First Corinthians 15, 24, Then the end will come when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father after He has destroyed all rule, authority, and power. For He must reign until He has put His enemies under His feet. People, as I finish, understand this. The end is coming. And it doesn't matter if it takes a month. It doesn't matter if it takes a year or a thousand years. The end will come. And Christ will reign as victorious king. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? My final verse is Revelation chapter 6. And here we get this picture of eternity. The opening of the sixth seal. When he opened... The sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became black blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men... The rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is coming and who is able to stand? Are you ready for his return? For that day will come without warning because judgment will be be without mercy. For all of those who have rejected Christ as king. Are you ready for his return? You've been given an opportunity to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. We saw Moses repented because it was he who wrote this account of his sin. You see, Moses was brought to a place of repentance. You know, Robert Jeffress said this if there is a great white throne judgment in which all unbelievers are going to be judged and sentenced to an eternity in hell, shouldn't that motivate us right now to share Christ with as many people as possible? There are so many people in this nation who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, I believe on that day, there will be many religious people who will find themselves before the great White throne judgment who will discover that their rituals and their traditions and their candles will not be sufficient. That their good works, that their philanthropy, that their virtue was not sufficient to save them from an eternity in hell. On that terrible day, there will be no excuses given. Judgment will be without mercy and the verdict will be final. It is an eternal judgment. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. But we do not fear that day because he who shed his blood sits on the throne. He who died, he reigns. And I don't know about you, I know I've made many mistakes in my life. I know I'm far from perfect, but I thank God that I have a Savior who is perfect. His name is Jesus. He is a perfect Savior. And you may be watching today, and you may have all sorts of things going on in your life. It may feel like things are out of control, but let me say this. He reigns. He reigns. He reigns. He knows the end from the beginning. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin, that you lived a perfect life, and that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus Christ. And forgive me of my sin. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, there are Zoom rooms that you can go into. Please let us know. If you need a Bible, we'll send it to you. We love you. We we long to see the saints gathering again. And we're praying. We're praying and believing that they're going to open the churches for Easter. That we can honor the Savior who rose from death. We're going to pray for you in a moment. But we want to, we want to just sing that song. He shall reign forever. We just want to go into that and just give God the glory. You may be at home right now in your pajamas. I don't know where where you are or what's going on, but I know God is worthy of praise. Could we just begin to sing that song right now and give Him glory in Jesus' name.